And we know that the inclusion of diverse owned businesses will help drive that creativity and innovation coming from folks who have all the experience in the golf industry, especially as us, as the PGA of America, pursue our mission of having a game, a golf industry workforce and a supply chain that mirror America. That's something that I don't think a lot of people have. And if more people took the time to be a mentor, be more than just a manager, a boss, be a friend and care for people, specifically minorities and underrepresented audiences in the business world, I think that's that's one of the best ways to break down barriers. Share your influence and your knowledge that you've gained over 30 plus years. And once the older generations do that, younger people like me are gonna be ahead of the game. And I would only think that would lead to much more innovation in the game of golf. So I can't thank Sandy enough. Obviously I'm a huge fan, as you can hear, but it's because she gave me opportunity, right? And that's what people need and want. And people that are with Black Lives Matter and other groups like Black Lives Matter are asking, we want an opportunity to make an impact and have a level playing field. And I can't say enough about Sandy Cross and all that she's provided me to be able to do that. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Charles Dillahunt, who is the PGA of America's strategic adjunct to the CEO and the Chief People Officer. On this episode, Charles is going to share with us the initiatives and the programs that he's involved with, such as Vendor Match and PGA Job Match. And we're also going to talk about the diversity and inclusion piece that Charles is so heavily involved with to make the game and the business of golf more welcoming to everyone. So with that, hey, Charles, thanks so much for taking the time and joining me today. And welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Colin, thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, I'm really looking forward to this conversation here, Charles, because we do love to talk about that diversity and inclusion piece and how to make golf more welcoming and inviting for everyone. And not just on the recreational side of the game and the professional side of the game, but that bigger piece that you're going to talk about in the $85 billion a year golf industry and how do you make it more accessible as a business opportunity for vendors, for everyone. So, hey, before we get into all the good things you're doing with the PGA of America, Charles, I want to kick this off here and ask you this question. First time you ever swung a golf club, how did you get involved with golf and introduced to golf even before you got involved with the PGA of America? Yeah, that's a good question. So I was late to the game, very, very late. I grew up playing basketball and football, played a year and a half of Division three college football here in America. And it was around 2017. That's the year I graduated from college. And I was with my soon-to-be father-in-law next May, Sean, and he golfed. And I had said, you know, we should try that. I was talking to my fiance. And so we go with him to the range. And it looks so easy on TV. But in 2017, you see Charles Dillahunt on the range. And it didn't look easy at all. It looked like I was struggling so off balance. I didn't come from sports where I'm swinging something. I was running and jumping and throwing. So 2017 was the first time I picked up a club and haven't looked back since. Just fell in love with it. Something about the challenge of hitting that ball that isn't moving, but is seemingly so hard to get the perfect flight on when you're first beginning, attracted me to the game. And like I said, I just have not looked back since. I love that. So you, it was that power of introduction again, that you had someone close to you that introduced you to the game and for that first onboarding opportunity. I know we're going to be bringing in names of other people that you work with and that you know that we've had the pleasure of having on the podcast here before. And one of those people is Sandy Cross, who is the CPO, the Chief People Officer with the PGA of America. And I love one of the things that she says is in order to be one, you have to see one. I know she didn't invent that saying, but that is so true. Someone that looks like you, talks like you, dresses like you, has a similar background to you. So you just feel comfortable. You 
have that immediate connection to that person in order to gravitate towards that experience, or in this case, the game of golf. It sounds like that was your first experience to get that confidence and, and feel welcome to get a golf club in your hand. Would that be fair to say? Certainly fair to say, and there's a lot I can comment on. First, I'll talk about the invite before I get to Sandy, because I could talk all day and praise her all day for the yeah, opportunity yeah. she's provided me. But the invite, you know, it's weird, my introduction to golf, how it started and the things I've been able to do on that golf journey to where I am now. It's almost like it all led up to this point, right? <laughs> the invite. And then last year when I was doing a lot of communications in my prior role, all I did was preach about an invite. And these things just happened to me in my own personal life. And I didn't even notice it at the time, right? But now I look back and it's funny. It's like, you know what? That power of the invite is real. Like, that's how I got into the game. And you know what's interesting about that statement from Sandy is I actually learned about the position I was in last year previously, diversity and inclusion engagement coordinator under her, tasked with telling stories of diverse individuals across the whole industry. By hearing her talk about that specific line on Golf Channel, an interview she did in 2018, it was late 2018, I believe, October or November, and she said that line, in order to be it, you need to see it. And here's how the PGA of America is making sure people see people that look like them. I was sold immediately. I tried to work in sports for two to three years, graduated in 2017, couldn't find a job in sports. Sandy gave me that opportunity. Obviously, I had to go through the interview process and to get there. But once I met her, I feel like we connected instantly, eventually got hired. And it was that interview where she was saying that exact line that sold me. So not only do you need to see people to believe it, but you need to hear people like you too, right? And that's exactly what happened. And just another instance of something happening on my golf journey that I didn't know what it was going to lead to. Imagine seeing someone on TV and then two months later, you're in their office interviewing for their job, right? It was sort of like a shock, but a great shock at that. That's amazing. And Sandy is so great at walking that walk of knocking down barriers to entry. So I do want to drill down into that particular statement, barriers to entry in golf, in society. Of course, we have the overlay of Black Lives Matter movement. And I want to get your thoughts on how golf could do better and is doing better of amplifying that and being consistent with that. But let's, let's take a step back here with a statement of barriers to entry into golf and into the profession of golf, which you've managed to uh, break through and Sandy helping with that. So can you talk about that, like the initiatives that you do? And maybe it's a great way to, to segue into what you're doing with Vendor Match and also with Job Match, that notion of breaking down barriers to entry. Yeah. So breaking down barriers to entry, it's interesting because there's multiple ways you can do it, right? And I'll just stay with Sandy before I move on to Vendor Match and Job Match. It's Sandy serves as a mentor to so many people, and I'm lucky enough that I get to work with her every day, right? But in my first year with the company, I'm now close to finishing up my second year. If I had a meeting with someone coming up, she said, here's how this person likes to act in reactive meetings. Here's what you need to do to make sure they hear you, that you're communicating effectively. Basically, here's how you have success at the PGA of America. Whoever we met with, was it a partner or someone internally? She took the time and went out of her way, quite frankly, to show me the ins and outs of the whole association. Here's how board meetings work. Here's how the PGA show is going to work, et cetera, et cetera. You name it. So I was in this place where I was walking along this guided path that you don't always see in corporations. It was almost more like a professor at college, right? Like she's walking me along this guided path of a course. And then finally you graduate and you move on. But I haven't graduated and moved on. Thank God. I, I love being here. But that's something that I don't think a lot of people have. And if more people took the time to be a mentor, be more than just a manager, a boss, be a friend and care for people, specifically minorities and underrepresented audiences in the business world, I think that's one of the best ways to break down barriers. Share your influence and your knowledge that you've gained over 30 plus years and 
once the older generations do that, younger people like me are going to be ahead of the game. And I would only think that would lead to much more innovation in the game of golf. So I can't thank Sandy enough. Obviously, I'm a huge fan, as you can hear, but it's because she gave me opportunity, right? And that's what people need and want. And people that are with Black Lives Matter and other groups like Black Lives Matter are asking, we want an opportunity to make an impact and have a level playing field. And I can't say enough about Sandy Cross and all that she's provided me to be able to do that. Some other ways we try to break down barriers, especially in the supplier inclusion space, we're a little different, right? It's in diversity and inclusion, it's all about the supplier. We're still working with suppliers, but we call them vendors because it goes along with our program. And we know that the inclusion of diverse owned businesses will help drive that creativity and innovation I mentioned coming from folks who have all the experience in the golf industry, especially as us, as the PGA of America, pursue our mission of having a game, a golf industry workforce, and a supply chain that mirror America. And through strategic alliances with National Veteran-Owned Business Association, or NAVOBA for short, the National Lesbian and Gay Chamber of Commerce, the Charlotte LGBT Chamber of Commerce, and many others, we successfully source prospective vendors for inclusion in our Tier 1 and Tier 2 bid opportunities at all four of our major championships. And we conduct PGA Championship, KitchenAid Senior PGA Championship, KPMG Women's PGA Championship, and Ryder Cup Diverse Business Opportunity Exchange events to actively introduce those prospective Tier 2 suppliers to our Tier 1 vendors so that they can have those sourcing opportunities in our major cities. And we look for a minority-owned, veteran-owned, disabled, peoples-owned to serve as those Tier 2 vendors. And what happens is you sign up online at pjimpact.org backslash vendor inclusion. From there, we cross-reference it. A lot of those signups come from people who have their certification from one of the companies I mentioned before. And from there, we work with a company called Radius Sports. Parent company is Arcus Marketing Group. And they really source and vet these entries to make sure that they are diverse owned or they are a veteran or they are woman owned. Once they do that, they cross-reference it with the list of the needs that our prime suppliers have to make sure that those vendors do fit the bill, right? They are going to be legitimately able to work alongside our tier ones to make the championship go off without a hitch, right? From there, they're selected. They have interviews. Normally, they were at our taste of events for like the Ryder Cup or PGA Championship. Now they've been held virtually. And if the tier one supplier finds someone who they think will be an asset to them during the championship, that's where the partnership is made. So going out of our way to create a program like that and let people know, hey, these opportunities exist for your businesses and diverse audiences, you can take advantage of them. And what's funny about it, Colin, is for years, those types of barrier breakdowns were happening behind the scenes from folks like Ernie Ellison, who used to work at the PGA of America, and Sandy. For example, Dave Cook has worked, I want to say, over 20 PGA championships. He's worked with us over 20 years providing food for the championships in our tier one supplier, Levy Restaurants. And it just wasn't a story that was being told. So while people were working and have been working at the PGA of America to break down these barriers, we didn't always do the best job at telling the story. So the awareness was very low. That's the key piece, right? You got to make people aware. And if they're not aware, they're not going to know how to get in. And we've realized that and think we're actually trying a lot more now to tell those stories, right? Because we know how important it is. And we want more Dave Cooks, who's an African-American food sourcing supplier. So I wanted you to share a story with us and you just did there with Dave Cook. 
You mentioned Radius. We've had the pleasure of having Gina Rizzi on the show also, a good friend of hers now and love the work that uh, that she does. So I didn't realize that you were intertwined and interconnected with Gina and, and Radius also. And I'm actually looking at a picture right now from the KPMG Women's PGA Championship where you were there representing Vendor Match at Whistling Straight. So all my good friends here are all coming together. It's interesting how everything intersects as we go. What I love about Gina's work that she focuses on is the sustainability side of sport and in this case the golf industry and people when they hear of sustainability Charles I'm sure you've heard this too immediately think it's it's all about environmental sustainability where we know it's that what they call the triple bottom line where it's the financial sustainability and also the social sustainability it sounds like you are really working with vendor match to prop up all three legs of that stool if you will there of sustainability of all three parts of that with the work that you're doing yeah for sure and I can't say enough good things about Gina Rizzi and her counterpart Sarah Rowe who are working together and they do a lot of the vetting for us and they really help us stay on track with our marketing efforts around vendor match and job match and other things, right? Just the day-to-day operations of it. But also, yeah, and that's the social responsibility is to make sure that when we're in these championship cities, we're not just like the circus coming to town, we take your money and we leave. No, we want to get into our championship cities before the championship event starts, learn what's important from a diversity standpoint and a culture standpoint, and then weave those things into our championship events, right? Right. So when you're at the PGA Championship, yeah, it's this world renowned event been happening over 100 years now. But you also have a little taste of your own community into it. It makes it more relatable. You can connect better with it. And then when we leave, we want to still have that presence and still retain that social responsibility to that city and make sure they know that we are a partner for them, not only while we're there, but hopefully when we go back there one day. Sounds like you're very much connected to leaving a legacy once you leave. Unlike that Olympic game experience where I've worked at that level in the design realm for many years. And one of the issues with the Olympics is that you're supposed to have this legacy or this transformation afterwards of what's left. And usually it is just like you talked about a circus that comes in for that two week period and then you're gone and there's all these false promises that are made. It sounds like you're working very, very hard to make sure it's not just before and during the event, but what do you leave? as that legacy for that particular community and it's ready to go to that next level when you come back whether it's the next year or the next time on the rotation that you come back through that particular community for sure and another story from vendor match julie camardo who is the owner of zweigels which is a sausage and hot dog company in rochester new york we had our senior pga championship there last year and she was selected through vendor match to provide the local sausage at the event that just added that local flair to the event to where okay, we've got this world-renowned event here, but I can also get my favorite sausage and watch the top senior golfers in the world play. So it just adds another level of entertainment excitement around the community. Love it, love it. So you did touch on this earlier, but I just want to clarify this for anybody listening that's thinking, oh, well, you know, with my business, I, I would love to get involved, but I'm overwhelmed now. I don't quite know where to start. So you can talk to us a bit, Charles, about the procurement process for a company out there, someone that is leading up a business that is thinking, well, maybe we qualify. I'd like I've never been involved in the golf industry. I didn't really even know that it was almost a hundred billion dollar year industry and the opportunities. So perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that. What would be the onboarding process and how long would that take? Is it three months out, 12 months out for people to get involved in one of a PGA event or LPGA event in their community? 
So vendor match, we normally source for the positions a year ahead of time. If you'd like to work at the 2022 PGA Championship, what you would do is check around March, April of 2021. You go to pgaimpact.org backslash vendor inclusion, and you'll normally see a big picture of me and Gina, who I mentioned, Sarah and Sandy at the top. But below that, you'll see if it's the right time, click here to apply for the PGA Championship at XYZ course. From there, you fill out the application. If you're a match, you're contacted probably by Sarah Rowe, who then interviews you, gets your certifications, and delivers that to the prime vendors who would then contact you to set up interviews. That's not the only opportunity, though. Those, there's only four a year for that. There's multiple tier one suppliers that are looking for different needs and services for sourcing. But the other thing, if it's not around the time of a championship where you can prepare to be involved in that, we also have a supplier database. If you scroll all the way to the bottom of that page, you'll see a header that says join our vendor database. That database, if you enter that, we will keep you in mind for other sourcing opportunities, say around our new headquarters in Frisco or our headquarters in Palm Beach. That's a way to still stay connected with us. And when we do RFPs for different things, we have this database where not only can you enter vendor match, but you can also be in our database for other needs as they come up in special projects. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, I will include that link in the show notes. Of course, I, as I mentioned, I was scrolling right through there right when you started talking about it. And there also are a handful of really inspirational stories of vendors and people that have got involved in the program there. Some of them you just touched on there in the conversation, but there's more there for people to go have a look at. So that is, that is great. So as I mentioned, we will include that. So what did I ask you this? The fact that what I understand that black golfers only represent, I think, roughly about 5% of the U.S. golfing population. So getting back to removing those barriers again, especially in urban populations that are more financially disenfranchised or perhaps don't even see golf as something that aligns with culturally or even the opportunity with the time and the resources and money that they have or don't have. So how do you see that as far as growing the uh, percentage of the golfing population with black golfers over the next decade or so, Charles? And what, what are the first things or what are the, you want to call it the low-hanging fruit or, the, or kind of the fundamental things that need to change or need, need to be provided in order to increase awareness and increase opportunity to make golf more accessible to African-Americans? The first thing I think we need to do, Colin, is meet them where they are. And that's become quite a popular term over this past year. But take myself. I was a football and basketball guy. Loved the NBA. Loved the NFL. Still do. I never really saw promotions unless it was the Masters time or PJ Championship time on CBS for golf events. And when I did see them or I saw, I remember looking at SportsCenter when I was like 10 or 11 and seeing the scoring system of golf. And it was just like amazed to me. I was like, why are there circles around some of those numbers and squares around some of the others? And I never got it. And I didn't know anyone around me that played. So one of the things I think we need to do is bring golf to them because we can't, obviously, we saw this boom around Tiger. We're seeing a similar boom now, but we can't expect that to last. So we need to continue to make sure we're meeting them where they are by going to their events. Take sneakerhead culture, for example. Nike's done a great job of meeting sneakerheads where they are and saying, hey, for every major championship, we're going to release these cool sneakers. I know folks and have met folks that because Nike has released these limited edition Jordans or Nike tennis shoes that are normally like a Air Max, but they make them into a golf shoe, they've literally got the shoe, gone to the course and tried out golf. That's Nike, what I would consider them meeting people where they are. How can the PGA of America do that? How can we show up at a esports conference, for example, and just happen to have a sample putting green with me? I think before we started this conversation, you mentioned a pinball-like game that simulates putting. 
uh, right? It was a mobile game. Mm-hmm. How do we get that in the hands of more people so they can say, you know what, like this game's pretty fun. I want to go try out real life golf. Like I want to go putt in real life for real. I think the more we can do that, the better. Just show up to some sort of art gallery and just happen to have golf with you in some way. The more you can get it in front of people, it gets back to that awareness piece I was speaking of earlier, the better. The other thing I'll say is when someone shows up at a golf course, our operators and PGA professionals need to be ready to welcome them with open arms because if they're not, then they may be falsely accused of something they aren't, like being a racist or something like along those lines. And it was funny. I was talking with our CEO, Daryl Crawl yesterday we had a meeting and he mentioned he went to play golf a certain amount of days in a row. I think it was like five or six. None of those days was he greeted by the course staff. That shot, like it's the COO of the PGA of America, you're not greeting him, but that happens to others as well. And I think sometimes when you show up to a course and you are, you do have those racial implications to you are a black man or black woman or Hispanic woman, Hispanic male, and someone doesn't say hi to you, but you see them talking to someone else, you could sort of feel like you're not welcome, right? So we need to be ready to greet these folks. We can meet them where they are, we can get them out to the course. But if we aren't ready and we don't train our PGA professionals to learn how to work across these dimensions of difference, then it's not going to last because first impressions are everything. And if you show up and people aren't greeting you nicely and treating you like they're treating someone else, then it might be a turnoff. So those are the two things I really want to focus on and try to help with in my career is meeting people where they are, getting the gamer or the MLB fan or the NBA fan to come out and try golf for once. And then once they get there, really make sure that our PGA professionals who I can't say enough good thing about our PGA pros. Everyone I've met has not only fixed my uh, golf game incredibly, but also just been a good friend and a good person and their mentors, making sure that they're ready to greet people of all backgrounds so we can grow the business in the game. No, those are, are great insights. So thank you, Charles, for sharing those. I, I couldn't agree more. Is that first golf experience, bring golf to the people. That's through some small-scale mobile event that also brings in music, food, culture, and other sports also, that is the recipe for success, just to make it more accessible rather than just kind of this pure notion of what golf is, is a lot of people still have this belief or mindset that golf is this purely elitist game for middle-aged and older white guys. And it is true in a lot of cases, but there is movement to change that. And you, you made an interesting comment just as far as that first experience for anybody at the golf course or even in life and what that impact is on you. And I had a very interesting conversation a couple of episodes ago where we had a gentleman named Robert Sarecci, who is the GM and COO of Medina Country Club, and everything that he has done over the last five years, just working on that experience for members, and not just all about golf, and not just all about technology, and how that has been good for business. So now they have a waiting list for new members, and that's very diverse also, and very vibrant, which is very interesting that he's seen that from uh, all the work that he's done in the past over the last couple of decades in the hospitality sector and bringing that over to take Medina to that next level. So I think there's a lot of opportunities for everybody, for all businesses, for all clubs, for all professions, for all sports, to learn from the things that Robert has taught us and, and also the things that you've just mentioned and there also, Charles. So, so thanks again for that. Yeah, and so, I can give you an example, Colin, of last year we partnered with Black Enterprise around a four-part podcast series called On the Tee with Black Enterprise. And through that series, we talked about different things we have going on, like our partnership with Jopwell, who did an insight study to learn why their community, which is young professionals from Latinx, African-American, and Native American backgrounds, what do they feel about golf? How do they feel about it? We talked about PJ Works, which is a strategic initiative under our foundation, PJ Reach, to get more minorities and women in the game. 
that's an example of meeting people where they are. So we know that businessmen and women from the African-American community, for the most part, know who Black Enterprise is and what they do and what they are trying to do for the Black community. They look to them for financial readiness and many other things in the business sector. We saw an opportunity to partner with them around that content series, knowing that if people heard that, we may drive an African-American man living in upstate New York to go to a golf course for the first time. We did the podcast series. They're pretty good episodes. You can still find them on Black Enterprise's website. Just type in on the T, PJ of America, Black Enterprise, you'll find it. But one of the things that happened after was Sandy was getting calls and emails to come speak. And she ended up speaking in our Northern California PGA section at their annual meeting. And Porter Braswell was even asked to come with her. So I think companies, especially in golf, will find success once they start reaching out Instead of going the normal traditional golf media route, why don't you try Black Enterprise or Latin Business Today, um, who we also partner with? And you're going to reach a whole different unengaged audience. Sandy and I call it engaging the unengaged. And once you do that, you'll be amazed how many people were like Charles Dillahunt in Terre Haute, Indiana and swung a golf club one time. And from then they were hooked and started working in the industry. I think there's a lot more people like that out there. We just need to go seek them out. Wow. Yeah. It's like you've taken, this isn't really a business strategy, but I guess in some ways it is just as far as connecting people and and finding those next concentric circles of non-golfers refusing to golf type people, for lack of a better term. And this ties in what you say, Charles, with a business methodology we talk about in the podcast, and that is Blue Ocean Strategy, which from a business perspective, which also works for nonprofits, it works for charities also, and it works for social impact initiatives also. So in this notion of the blue ocean, of this uncontested space of new opportunity, rather than the other side of this metaphor of the red ocean of kind of fighting over the scraps, race to the bottom in your business, um, doing the same thing everybody else is, where you're unlocking new opportunities. And it sounds like what you're doing through the initiatives and the programs, and as you talked about engage the unengaged, I love that one. I got to start using that one. I'll give you guys credit for it. That sounds like what you're doing. You're, you're finding ways to align the business and game of golf to other lifestyles and through other communities or other, other tribes, whether that tribe happens to be a tribe of a completely different sport, in this case, esports, like you talked about, and how does that resonate or, or sneaker culture along with that. So sounds like you're being very smart to think outside of the golf box, to appeal to people with the qualities of golf that intersect and align with their lifestyles already. and something that is familiar and comfortable for them, which is a, a difficult thing, I'm sure for you also personally, Charles, to feel comfortable that first time of getting on a green grass experience. Tell us about that. What was the first time you talked about the first time you swung a club at a a driving range? What was the first time you ever stepped onto a legit 18 hole golf course? What was that experience like for you? Intimidating to say the least. I try to find another feeling in sports that equates to stepping on the first tee with your friend you've come with or all three or four of your friends you're playing with and hitting that first tee shot of the day, especially if you haven't hit the driving range and you just go right up to the tee, right? The only feeling I can think of or have thought of that sort of mimics that is maybe a field goal kicker in football because it's all on you, you know, game-winning field goal, the game's on the line. If you lose, they're going to blame you, right? That first tee, like it's all on you. You got to get it out in the fairway. And if you don't, it's on you. You can't blame anyone else. (laughs) There's no team to blame. And as a guy that came from team sports, that's a very different feeling. And to concentrate for, let's say, four hours on hitting the ball straight, remembering all the different little intricacies that come into your golf swing. There's so many different things. The wind, there's water here. Should I lay up or go for it? 
all these different questions were like overwhelming. And there's so many different ways you can attack a golf course. And my first time on there with my father-in-law, I was like, how do you do this? And he's just hitting shots straight and plopping them right up on the green. And it was so interesting because I felt so intimidated and so just (laughs) out of control of where this ball was going to go. Banana slicing or hooking. And it was frustrating. But at the same time, that frustration and that nervousness turned into, I want to get better at this. So I'm not nervous anymore. So I can play with the big boys. I can play 18 holes and not lose a ball or something like that. So my first experience was just full of fear and questions. And Colin, I was a philosophy major. So question is my middle name, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, which actually really helps me in my career now that we're looking to rebuild the industry in creative ways. But yeah, that was, I'm getting off track. That was my first experience on a golf course. And it was scary to say the least. And I think that's why I can relate because it was only three years ago. I can relate to that first time golfer because I still consider myself a beginner three years in. At least that's my excuse when I hit a bad shot, right? Um, there we go. I have, I have uh, other excuses for any bad shots. I, I've been playing for a, for a while longer, but I've been playing poorly for a lot longer than you have, even though I'm getting better now. Yeah. And it's, I didn't understand it for a long time and I'm starting to come around to it, but it is so intimidating because it's all on you. But once you look around, you see other people are hitting the same shots you are and you're not getting paid to play on TV. So that should relax you. No one's perfect on the golf course, right? <laughs> no, they are not. And and I have a similar background as, as you, as all the sports that I played competitively were team sports. I, I love that camaraderie of being part of something bigger than myself, also playing, whether it's baseball, basketball, I live up here in Canada, played a lot of hockey also, and never really played individual sports. I agree. It's a completely different feeling and different demands upon yourself. So I never grew up playing tennis or these other things that you're all on your own. So I wanted to ask you this, perhaps you can provide some insights with young African-American athletes, whether it's in high school and then looking at college and and scholarship opportunities, seems like the bulk of them, the majority of the opportunities are in team related sports, both for young men and and women. So how do you inspire more young African-American athletes to give a solo or individual sport, I guess the best way to put it, like golf, a shot rather than uh, stick with the sports that traditionally they would gravitate towards? That's a good question. And we're still trying to figure that out, right? But I think, once again, it gets back to meeting them where they are, showing up at the Boys and Girls Club or where there's pickup basketball going on and introducing a young African-American man or woman to a golf club. Traditionally, in that community, we grew up, or at least myself, I grew up and my friends grew up wanting to play basketball. How do you show up there and provide them an opportunity to swing that club? So meeting them where they are. The other thing I'd say is affordability, and that's just not for African-Americans, but for everyone in the game. Making it a little bit more affordable and more accessible. Most of the parks where I grew up in Terre Haute, Indiana, had a, a basketball net there. All they needed was a ball. And sometimes you, if you didn't have a basketball, you use a soccer ball, right? So there were these really easy ways to innovate and play basketball. Football, you just need a ball. And you can do three on three, seven on seven, 11 on 11. You got a football game breaking out. It's tradition during Thanksgiving in America to have a turkey bowl with your family in the backyard. Where are the ways we can make that with golf? My father-in-law and I, we'd go out in the field across from their house and just chip balls. Like Those are the free ways, if you will. You can introduce young African-Americans to the game of golf. But I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the affordability part. How do we make golf more affordable so that folks in all communities can afford to play more golf? The other thing I'd say is, how do you innovate golf? For years, golf has been you play 9 or 18. There may be some people that just don't have time to play 9 or 18 holes. 
is anyone going to offer a three hole rate or a six hole rate? Or can you go hole by hole? Hey, I want to play four holes today. And you get out there and you go. Now, as an operator, you may <laughs> shiver hearing that statement because I don't know how that would mess up your T sheet. But I think there's innovative ways like that. You can get someone who's still deep in another sport over to the golf course. Paul Millsap is actually our PJ Works ambassador. And I think he's a four or five time NBA All-Star. Made it to the conference finals this year with the Denver Nuggets. He's passionate about inclusion, but one of the things he's found is golf. So he decided to become a PJ Works ambassador, and he has an academy called Core Four, and it's in Atlanta, Georgia, where he takes top young basketball talent who, from what I've seen, mostly skew to be African American. And he introduces them to the game of golf through one of our PGA professionals named John Boykin. Not only are they getting top-notch nutrition training and physical training, but they're also, from time to time, John Boykin will go in there. And we have a cool video on at PGA Works Instagram of the kids practicing golf. So it's just those smaller interactions where it costs nothing. And John comes in and he, he delivers some of his time to those kids. But who knows? Some of those kids may be like, hey, Paul, let's go golf. Or mom or dad, I want some golf clubs for Christmas because they were introduced to it through people like Paul and those smaller interactions. So uh, long story short, I think those smaller interactions that don't cost much are what you can do. Introduce those to the African-American and other minority communities, women. And I think we'll get some more into the game away from those team sports. Yeah, nice. And I'm, I'm assuming with all the initiatives you have with the PGA of America that you're supporting those other organizations at a grassroots level and businesses that are growing the game, such as uh, Women of Color Golf with my good friend, Clemmy Perry out of Tampa. We had a gentleman named Ian Peterson who has a company called Dialed In Golf that creates experiences using the TrackMan technology. And there's quite a few others that we've had on also. Shella Sila, who is the, Shella Silla, I should say, sorry, who is the founder of uh, Sister Golf. So there's all these organizations sprinkled across the country that are in some cases siloed and a bit disconnected and kind of working on their own. So I'm hoping there's some kind of a strategic support for all these other groups that are working very, very hard to grow the game. So they're not just on their own trying to do it with the limited resources that they have. For sure, there are. And Kudos to Jay Monahan at the PGA Tour, Mike Wan at the LPGA, and Seth Wall, our CEO at the PGA of America. They've brought together the golf industry. The good thing I can say about the golf industry is we're not all swimming in parallel lanes trying to accomplish the same goal. We've now come together through five strategic DE&I groups to, we all want the same thing, right? We want more people to enjoy the game of golf. And those three have brought us all together across five different groups. For example, I sit in on the marketing committee. There's an education and training committee. There's a youth development committee. But I'm happy to say folks like Tiffany Fitzgerald, who runs a company called Black Girls Golf and mm -hmm. Dr. Michael Cooper, who works for the APGA tour and is really instrumental in the lives of youth, PGA professionals like Kendall Murphy, who work at UNLV PGM School, and Kenny Sims, who's a PGA professional in the Tampa area, they are also on that call. So not only do you have the executives at the chief level in the golf industry, but you also have your local operator. There's a golf course owner and operator. I believe her name is Allison. Forgive me, Allison, for not remembering your last name or your course, but she's also on there. So there's all levels of the industry, all different levels of experience. And that's the first step. And from that group, we're trying to accomplish one unified voice where we can reach a great our audience, utilizing all of our audiences and pooling dollars at some points when it's strategic to get the goal we all want, which is to mirror America and get more people in that unengaged audience involved in the game. Oh, love that. And I've had the pleasure of having Dr. Michael Cooper on the podcast before a couple of years ago. I've met him at the PJ Merchandise Show when he hosted his uh, Diversity Inclusion Roundtable. So being part of that conversation 
And things are just just starting to grow here. And it does take time and it does take, it's one conversation at a time, like you mentioned. So yeah, I keep, I can keep going here forever, but I do want to be respectful of your time. And we also want to jump on a video call so we can have an extended conversation that'll be on our YouTube channel. But before I let you go here, Charles, could you share your thoughts, kind of looking at the crystal ball of a couple of years experience you've had now in the golf industry? What is your biggest hope for the game of golf, both for the recreational growth and also for the industry over the next decade? So. so I'm going to relate this back to my philosophy major. Have you heard of Rene Descartes? Have you heard of him and any I, of his philosophy? I have. If you know him, you know that he has his meditations, which is one of his most popular works, where he's talking about how knowledge is found. And what he did essentially was he forgot everything he knew, didn't take anything for granted that his name was Hene or anything like that. And that's where the saying, I am, therefore I exist comes from. And so I feel like we're at the same point in the golf industry where we're forgetting everything we knew and we're looking at the base of the golf industry. You're only as strong as your foundation, right? And that's a key saying from Descartes. I have to credit him with that. The golf industry will only be as strong as its foundation. And if that foundation is inclusion and adversity, then I think we're in a good place because everyone's going to be included, which will bring in more innovation, more thoughts and ideas that historically have not been here because the industry has been so homogenous. So if I look in a crystal ball, and my hope is that we continue down this path, and I think we will, because all of the allied associations and the local course operators, we're working together now, and we're working toward the same goal. We all recognize that and the importance of it. And I think all of us have seen success in our different little swimming lanes. Bringing those together, I can only imagine we're going to have much more success. You know, I welcome anyone to reach out to me to chat about if they have ideas, let us know. We have an email. It's inclusion at pgahq.com for people that have ideas around the inclusion space. If they want to speak to me or someone else about an idea they have, happy to introduce myself and hear their idea, hear them out about what they think we could be doing that we aren't doing. I think we're going to accomplish a lot, but the more accessible we can become to folks on the local grassroots level, and the more we can help them facilitate their programming, the better we're going to be. And I think we're on a great path to get to that point, Colin. Wow. Well, there's a mic drop moment right there. We'll leave it right there, Charles. Yeah, I didn't think of this conversation. We were going to be talking about sneaker culture and Descartes. And uh, <laughs> and see, I actually embraced Descartes because everything I learned when I studied uh, in a philosophy course in college, aged myself here more than 30 years ago, I had forgotten everything I had learned there. So so I guess in a way, I've, I've kind of learned from that because I, I forgot that. But you brought it back and you reminded me there and tied it into golf. So uh, didn't think we were going there today, but we did. <laughs> And I think that's yeah. awesome. That's really solid. Oh, I was just going to say, and that's part of engaging the unengaged. Like I don't have a background and I just love sports. So I have a background in my minor was business. My major was philosophy. That's technically engaging the unengaged. And I think I can say I've come in and provided some different thoughts that someone who might've grown up playing golf didn't have. But I've also learned from a lot of people who grew up playing golf their whole lives, things I didn't know. So that cross collaboration and the infusion of ideas is just, it's so vital. So, but thank you, Colin. I appreciate you having me and look forward to staying connected in the future. So. Absolutely. So Charles Delahunt, who is the PGA of America strategic adjunct to the CEO and CPO, the chief people officer. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Mod Golf Podcast. And Charles, hey, I'll make sure that everything you talked about, between including that email address, including the uh, website link for vendor inclusion, we'll include all that good stuff in the show notes. So we'll make it easy for all of our listeners here if they are interested to access all of that. See, it's all about accessibility, right? We're trying to knock down the barriers ourselves here the best that we can on the Mod Golf Podcast. So with that, hey, Charles, thanks so much and take care. We'll talk soon. You as well. Thank you, Colin, again for having me. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. 
I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Charles Dillahunt, PGA of America's strategic adjunct to the CEO and the CPO. If you'd like to learn more about Charles, visit our episode show page where we've included website links and contact information to get in touch with the PGA Vendor Match Program. During this episode, Charles mentioned his connection to both Sandy Cross, the PGA of America's Chief People Officer, and Radius Sports founder Gina Rizzi. I had the pleasure of speaking to both Sandy and Gina on previous episodes, so I've also included the links for both of those if you'd like to hear about the impactful work these dynamic women are spearheading in the golf space. The video link for my extended conversation with Charles is also on the episode show page. And please subscribe to our Mod Golf YouTube channel while you're there. If you leave a comment, I promise to respond. Please join me next time when my guest is Nick Steiner, CEO of Back to Basics Golf, where he'll share his entrepreneurial journey that began in San Diego and now finds him on the Gold Coast of Australia. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor partners, Golf Genius Software and British Columbia Golf, for help making the Mod Golf podcast happen. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from golf's brightest innovators and influencers. Our friends at Golf Genius Software have added a new digital scorecard option to their live scoring capabilities of its tournament management platform. So if you're a golf course owner or operator, I suggest you check out golfgenius.com to find out how they help create less work, more fun, and more revenue. We've also just launched a bunch of golf product giveaways, starting with some beautiful, high-performing Edison wedges. To enter, simply sign up to our newsletter at mod.golf, follow us on either Twitter, Instagram, or our LinkedIn page, and go to our YouTube channel and reply by stating, enter me in the Mod Golf Giveaway Contest. The Edison Giveaway Contest closes on Friday, December 11th, 2020. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me. Bye for now.